Well, good morning, everybody. The, uh, the holidays are rapidly coming upon us, and uh, Thanksgiving is a couple weeks away, and we are um, in the middle of this series about preparing your heart for the holidays, preparing your mind, your body, your soul to sit across from your family, these blood relatives of yours, and ready to do business for the Lord with them. And uh, this morning, we are going to be tackling a really hard uh, topic, I think, about um, embracing forgiveness. Um, we all, from our families of origin, have uh, some work to do, probably. And so we're going to talk about that. But before we do, um, I want to talk about, um, in a, I mean, I think the most brutal divide that's happening in our church, in our country right now, and that's is whether or not you're a Hallmark family. <laughs> Am I right? Because that is a divide. There is no middle ground if you are a Hallmark Christmas movie person. And I happen to be married to somebody who loves them. So, and stinking Hallmark starting in November 1st is having Christmas movies. And so our life is being invaded by Hallmark. And it's great, I guess. But what I realize is if you're, there's, two, there's basically two ways, right? And the Hallmark movie clarifies which way, how you posture yourself towards the world. Are you an open-hearted, generous, optimistic person who goes, yes, I just love love, and I just hope that they meet in Evergreen, and he gives up his big job in the city, and they're going to kiss and live happily ever after? Or are you a cold-hearted person who knows that marriage isn't going to last, you know, and they, uh, that, that, they're not even good kissers, there's no chemistry, and he has an incredible job, and he better not give it up for her because this is all over, right? Those are kind of two ways that we look at it. But what I think is interesting is the Hallmark movie and the Hallmark shows, I think they capture something that's deeper in us. And that is a desire to recognize that we are human beings and we are long for connection, we long for intimacy. And I get that Hallmark may not do it the best job and it's pr- the production value is poor and the snow does not, you know, it's soap, that's what it is, you know, that's happening, it's not snow. But the reality is, the truth of it that, it, that it's exposing is that we are made to be intimate. We're made to be intimate with God. We're made to be intimate with each other. Turns out you don't want to Google search intimate. Um, so that, that was some learning that I did. That I did. So, but the deal is that we, that's how God made us. And what happens is some people are open-hearted. And when the, 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 the slings and arrows of the world come, we, it, it, it hits them and they, they kind of get over it and they just kind of keep leaning into over and over again, waiting to have this restored relationship. Some people... Right? They get wounded, they get wronged, and they close the vault, and that is it. And you are dead to me, right? Well, wherever you land on that camp, the truth is that we're human beings, we're made in the image of God. Because we're made in the image of God, God's posture towards us, us is one of intimacy. God longs for us to be intimate with him and with each other. And because of sin, because of our rebellion, because of brokenness, because of the broken and evil world that we live in, we have all had our hearts just decimated. And so what, is the, what does the church need to do? What is the unique Christian practice that we need to do to recognize the world we live in, to recognize our own sin and brokenness, and begin to take steps towards Christ, take steps towards being whole people, people who can regain this sense of intimacy, both with God and with each other. And really, you may not realize this, but as Christians, as followers of Christ, once you say yes to Jesus, you now have this noble calling. Because you are not just an independent person living life and uh, trying to like, have quiet times and trying to be a noble person and, and, and be a good Christian woman or man, but you actually have a calling on your life. God has an important job for you to do. 
See, the very same way that God, who was holy and perfect and righteous and in heaven, he looked down on the sinful and broken world and he said, I need to restore this relationship with you, but these human beings cannot figure it out. And so God sends his son in the incarnation, fully God, fully human, to show up, to live among us, to show us what it means to live, to die on the cross, to cover all of our sins. And because of his life and death and resurrection, we now have an access, a road back towards reconciliation. And you, when you give your heart to Christ, you become a co-laborer with him. You become someone who now gets to partner with God in this ministry of reconciliation. So the passage we're going to take a look at this morning is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 16. It says this, So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. For therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. And all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Right? If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. When we give our hearts to Christ, Jesus begins to do this new thing in us. We're not the same people just trying to be at the gym longer or eat less food or whatever your issues are, right? We're not people who just white-knuckle it and try to be better people, that the Holy Spirit comes in and begins to mold us and shape us and transform us. We are new people. Our identity is new, and now we're living into this new identity. So all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and now he's given us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, And as he committed to us this message of reconciliation, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. For God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is one of my most all-time favorite passages of Scripture because it is just so rich, it is so dense about understanding what is this unique calling that we have that we are partners with God, just like God came to earth to make a way for us to be in relationship with him. God now is asking us to be the hands and feet and the mouth and the spokespeople for God to implore people to be made right with God. And we actually get to help people be made right with each other. And what's interesting about this passage is the way that it's done is it says that Christ no longer counts our sins against us because we have a lot. Some of you have way more than you should, right? You have so much. And Christ, he wipes away those sins. He no longer counts your sins against him. And because of that, you now have this opportunity to engage him. And just like we do that with God, God does that with us. He now is imploring us to do that on behalf of one another. And so this idea of embracing forgiveness is something that we need to do, embracing it from God towards us. And it's something that we need to lean into and extend towards one another. And that's where it gets a little tricky. But before we get there, there's a couple ways in which I think that we as Christians are missing it. And the first is this. When we think of forgiveness, it turns out we are actually really good at forgiving people we like. Have you found that? <laughs> What's so funny is someone will do something to you, they'll bail on a meeting, they'll, they'll leave you high and dry somewhere, they'll forget about you, they'll chintz out on your birthday, they'll hurt your feelings. I mean, whatever it is, right? And because you love them, they love you, they're like, oh, that's just Ben being Ben. He has a weird sense of humor, right? Oh, that's just it. We, if we love that person, we just kind of write it off. We go, I can forgive them, it's okay. 
But if we don't love that person, every breath drives us crazy. Why are they even breathing that way? Jeez, like it just drives us crazy. Look at, they're one minute late. Who lives like this? I feel so disrespected, right? And that's like on the most simple. We have like way deeper things that go on, but it's interesting that if they, if they are friends, if they're part of our tribe, if they're part of our circle, we have the, it's actually easy for us to forgive. The challenge is forgiving people who are not in our tribe, forgiving people who we don't naturally, naturally like. And that is the unique Christian perspective. Non-Christians all day can forgive their friends. The unique Christian perspective is God is inviting us to take on his posture. While we were still enemies, it's while we were enemies that Christ came and died for our sins. While people are rude and mean and have crushed us, while they are in a posture of rebellion and hurtful towards us, the mature Christian offers forgiveness. Gosh, that is really hard. So that's one way I think we're missing it, that we, it's easy to uh, forgive our friends, but it's really hard to forgive our enemies. The second is this. This is, um, it's a little bit of an overswing. And just like we should forgive our friends, so it's not saying we don't forgive our friends, but the same is true with this. We live in this moment where justice is a high, high value. And praise God that the church is on the cutting edge and on the front edge, that we want to be people who leverage our resources, our influence, our power to stand up for the most poor and marginalized people. Praise God that the church has finally figured that out. But it's a little bit of an overswing because in some sense, we as a church have become such justice people. We've become such rights people. And the truth is justice and rights, that's actually all all people believe in justice and rights. All Christians and non-Christians believe if someone is wrong, they need to be punished. It is in us. It's wired in our DNA. But where we're missing it is, as Christians, the unique calling is not for justice. That's what we should do. The unique calling is that we are to love mercy. Micah 6, 8, right? It says, what should we be all about? We have to love mercy. We do justice and we walk humbly with God. And sometimes we get so hopped up on being about rights and thinking we're being noble people that we actually forget that we are broken people. And while we're trying to do right and be just in this one area, we're still laying waste all around us. And that as good, maturing Christian people, we need to be people who love mercy. That is a unique Christian virtue. Nobody loves mercy. People love justice. People love retribution. The Christians love mercy. So before we jump into this idea of if we're going to really embrace forgiveness, we need to recognize it's actually easy to forgive your friends. It's actually easy to be about justice. But we actually want to love uh, and forgive our enemies. And we also want to love mercy. So reconciliation begins by embracing forgiveness. Gosh, wouldn't it be this simple? I wish. I don't know if any of you are fans of the, of the TV show, This Is Us, um, but this last week there was this incredible S, uh, part in the, in, the, in, the, in the show where uh, Kevin Pearson, just, um, he just lays waste uh, in this season of his life, and he has this conversation with this girl, this woman, and, and basically says, isn't it funny that when, when we were kids, you could just say, I'm sorry, and then it was done. But as an adult, like, you say you're sorry, and it doesn't make it better. And I just thought, gosh, that is so powerful. And I think as Christians, this is where we kind of miss it because we want to embrace forgiveness. We want to say we're sorry, but we, we realize as kids, what we're, what we're saying is when we're saying sorry is the offense is so little, right? If you think of um, it's so little, and so as an adult or as another kid, you, it's easy to get over it. But when we get to be adults, the offenses are way more costly. 
they're way more significant. They're way more than a simple I'm sorry is going to cut it. I thought that was such a powerful thing. So if we want to recognize that reconciliation begins by embracing forgiveness, the very first thing we need to understand is that forgiveness actually has a true cost. See, a lot of times I think we think of forgiveness as you just have to get over it. If someone says I'm sorry, then you have to suck it up and be over it. But that is a cost. Think of it as, a, as, as an exchange, right? You, um, that it, every offense has a certain dollar amount. And in fact, Jesus tells this parable in, uh, in Matthew 18. He uh, says that, um, so Peter comes to Jesus and he says, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Jesus says, up to seven times. I tell you, not even seven, but 70 times seven. And they says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle his accounts. And if you're familiar with this parable, right, when he goes on to say that, um, you know, there's this, this, this servant and he owes the, the king like 10,000 bags of gold or whatever the, the, the Greek word is for that. He owes him this incredible amount of money and he begs for the king's forgiveness. He says, God, please forgive me. I can't pay back. And the king forgives his debt, this gigantic, huge debt. He's like, oh my goodness, I'm free. And as he's free, he walks around and he walks away and he, he comes across someone who owes him like 10 bucks he said, hey, do you have my 10 bucks? And the guy's like, no, I don't have 10 bucks. Please forgive me, my, my, me, my debt. And he's like, what? You don't have 10 bucks? Guards, take this guy away. And then he sends him to the way. And, and Jesus just drops the hammer and basically is like, oh my goodness. Like, listen, if the, there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth if that's how you're going to embrace my mercy. And it helps us to recognize that, that there is a true cost. 10,000 bags of gold, 10 bucks. This is a picture of a, of a 1980s F-150 and when I was 12 years old, I don't know if you've been around 12-year-olds, but they're actually not that big. Um, but when I was 12, um, my, my, my mom uh, grew up uh, in the Imperial Valley on this ranch. They're all alfalfa farmers. And I was a suburban kid with soft hands, and so I'd drive down there and be with my cousins, and we'd have a great time goofing around. Well, one year, when I was 12, my cousin was 13, um, we're hanging around, and everyone, all the adults are doing something, and my cousin says, hey, Ben, let's go take my dad's truck and let's go drive around the ranch. I'm like, well, yeah. So we, so we get in this truck, we put on the cassette of Queen, and we are just driving around as 12 and 13-year-olds in this big old F-150, cruising down the canal banks. We just thought we were so awesome. This was like every kid's dream. Well, we're driving around, we're driving around, and we get kind of to the farthest end of my, my grandma's property. And my cousin's like, hey, do you want to drive? Well, yes. Are you kidding me? I mean, how hard can it be? A suburban kid with soft hands, I'm in. And so I jump in, we switch seats, we, we flip the tape around, and we are driving. I'm driving an F-150. I've never even driven one in real life as an adult. And I'm driving down the canal bank, and we are singing to the top of our lungs. We're having the greatest time. And we pull into my, into the, into my grandma's ranch, and, uh, and we're about to leave. And, and then my cousin lays it on me. He's like, oh my goodness, we've got to put it back where we found it because my uncle doesn't know we took it. At which point I freak out because my uncle is a, he's a rancher. You know, he has hands that are twice the size of any normal man's hands and a gray mustache and a sweaty cowboy hat. And I'm like, we're dead. So let's put it back. So I put the car in reverse to put it back where it is, but I'm 12. I've never driven a car before. I drive and I back the car in and I hit uh, this big steel post in the center of my, of my uncle's shop. Oh my goodness. That was the end of my life. We look outside, I, basically, I put a big old dent in the, tail, in the tailgate, and we have to go in and tell my uncle, and I'm like, this is the end of my life. It's the end. So we walk in, and my uncle with his giant hands and you know, mustache and big old sweaty help, um, cowboy hat, and we tell him what happens, and he walks out. You know, and you know the angry dad walk where he just kind of walks slowly, and he looks 
And he looks at the tailgate, he looks at us, he shakes his head, and he walks away. And we did not die, because I'm here today. <laughs> but what's interesting is, no one would ever say that my uncle is a forgiving man. And yet he forgave me. And what I mean by he forgave me is, it cost $5,000. That's how much damage I did to the back end of my uncle's truck because I'm stupid. I was 12. I don't know what was going on. And when he did not kill me or did not make my parents pay, right, he forgave me. And the cost was $5,000. Like, that's what it cost. He didn't just get over it. He didn't just say, it's okay, kids, right? There's a true cost to when someone violates us, when someone hurts us, when someone wrongs us. And I think it's so helpful for us to know, to get our heart around, that when people hurt us, when people violate us, when people wrong us, when they're two minutes late, that's like a $5 infraction. When someone wrongs the depth of our soul, that's a $10 million infraction. And sometimes we don't have the money, the internal money, the internal resources to be able to pay for those infractions. So if we want to embrace forgiveness, we, I think it's helpful to recognize that those, that those violations actually have a cost, a very true cost. All right. The second point is that we need to, um, to recognize that there's ripples. Um, last, last week, or I guess a couple months ago, our children's ministry team heard this woman, Lisa Turkhurst, uh, speak. And she's this uh, incredible woman speaker, communicator, author. And she, um, and she just had this awful experience with her husband and was violated and worked really hard to get to the other side. And it was all public because she's a public Christian person having to navigate all this. But she said something that I think is the most helpful thing on the planet because as good Christian people, we want to forgive right? And we think, I forgave that person. We, we, we muster up the savings. We muster up the internal spiritual fortitude. And we go to that wrong. We say, I'm ready to forgive that wrong. But what she said is what we're not prepared for are all of the ripples. So when I was 19, my stepdad left my family and ran off with somebody else. And, uh, and I was the, the stepson. So I was, you know, he wasn't my dad who ran off. And so him and his whole family were kind of estranged to me. And it was an awful thing, and I was just getting excited about my faith, and I'm a good Christian young man, and I know that good Christians are supposed to forgive one another, so I'm like, all right, I need to figure out how to forgive my stepdad for doing this to my family and doing this to me. And so I go, okay, God, I'm going to forgive him. And, but what I wasn't prepared for was the ripples, right? When my stepdad left, and he left, and he left with his resources, and he left with his money, right? my mom, we had to sell our family home. My home I had all my good memories in it, and my mom had to move to this little house with my sister, and then she had to pay for school. And I'm watching the, the, the challenge that that was for my mom. I would grieve this loss of my family. And I realized every, felt like every month there was a new ripple, an unexpected consequence to this one sin, this one violation that I was not prepared for. And so I'm like, why is it taking me so long to ask for forgiveness, to forgive this person? And what I realized was the actual violation cost a ton, and that took a ton of work. But then the continued offense, the ripples, impacted me in ways I never knew. And so I just thought, man, what Lisa said was so wise that there are these ripples. And what we have to do is we have to continue to embrace forgiveness, not just for the one offense, but for all of the ripples. We need to have the internal spiritual fortitude over and over and over again. And the last thing that we need to do is embrace the spiritual discipline of long-suffering. I love this idea of long-suffering. It's God's posture towards me. He looks at me, he looks at you, he loves you. But he's also like, are you kidding me? We're still doing this? 
right? It's raising a teenager. You look at your teenager and you're like, are you kidding me? But you don't just like bail as a parent because you're, you know, your 17-year-old or your 20-year-old is just going off the rails. Like, you know, this is the long game. It's the long game. It's the long game. So you as a parent, you continue to engage. You continue to run after. You continue to be open-hearted in waiting for your kids to kind of finally figure it out. Just like God's continually waiting and waiting and waiting for us to finally figure it out. And I love this idea that if we are going to forgive one another, we need to be able to embrace long-suffering with one another. Because what's so wild is all of us have this story. In our internal lives, we tell the story that we are all beautiful butterflies. You are a beautiful butterfly. I mean, sure, you've made stupid decisions. Sure, you've made stupid choices. Sure, you've hurt people. But you knew what you meant. You knew your intentions. You knew that that was just a, a weak moment. You knew that was an awful season. You know all the reasons why you just laid waste to the world around you because you know who you are. You're becoming this beautiful butterfly and you're in this long process. But what if we embrace long-suffering towards the people who wronged us and recognize that they too are not their worst moment, that they too are in process, that they too are becoming whole people, that God is continuing to do a work in them too. And to not just write them off and close the vault, but to wait patiently and expectantly that maybe God might do a new work in them as well. Those are hard things. All three of those things are really hard. But if we are going to be Christian people, people who know and love Jesus, who have encountered Jesus' grace and forgiveness, who now are compelled to be ministers of the ministry of reconciliation, which means we lead with grace and mercy towards other people, well, then we need to actually have this maturing version of faith. Right? We need to recognize that forgiveness has a cost. We need to recognize that there's ripples and be girded up for those as well and maybe have this ministry of, of, of this, a vision of long-suffering towards those who have wronged us. So I just want to offer three, um, I think, simple tasks, but like all tasks, um, actually pulling them off are incredibly difficult and take an entire lifetime. But there are three things that I think that we can do if we want to be the kind of Christians who are going to lean into this calling of being ministers of reconciliation. If we are going to be people who actually can forgive or begin to forgive or to begin to even consider to forgive, then here's three things that I think we can try to do. Here's the first. Now, when I first got married, um, I thought because I'm the man, I should take care of the money and manage our family household finances. And after a year and then getting us 4,000 bucks in debt, which, you know, for a person making 400 bucks a month was a lot of money, um, I wreck shop, right? And so we had to like go and consolidate our money and like meet with a debt consultant and the whole thing. And one of the things they said is one of the ways when you have an overwhelming amount of debt is you, is you pay off the simple things first. You find the easy things you went, you, and you, you begin a habit of getting those things out of the way first. And a lot of times when we think of forgiveness, we have those one or two people who have wronged us at the core of our being. And even saying to consider forgive them just causes your face to like, twitch, and you're like, there's no way I'm doing that. You have no idea, which I don't. That's the huge debt. But maybe as Christians, if we want to lean into this maturing version of faith, maybe what we do is find a a small debt. Who's someone who's just wronged you a little bit? And practice by forgiving them. Practice forgiving the small debts begins to build our muscles for forgiveness. 
The second way uh, is this way that my wife just told me about. We were talking about this this weekend, and um, a counselor gave her this brilliant way to think about it, which I wish I knew earlier, which is when I think of forgiving someone who's ruined and crushed the depths of my being, and I think, I can't even look at them, even in my imagination, and say, I forgive you. Like, even in my imagination to say, God, I, for- I, wanna f- I look at that person and say, I forgive you. I cannot do it. And, and Katie's counselor said, no, no, don't look at them and say you forgive them. But look to the Lord. Look to Jesus who loves us, who has compassion and mercy on us. Look to him and say, Lord, I forgive this person. Right? Do it 10 times a day. Do it, what, what it, that does more and more. It just, it begins to chip away at that debt. So you pay the small debt first with the easy forgiveness. You take those big ones and you can't take it all at once. And so instead of looking at them and trying to find a way to forgive them, you look to Jesus, keep your eyes fixed on him, his grace and mercy, and ask and say, I will forgive them by keeping our eyes on Jesus. And here's the last and third way. When I ruined my uncle's truck, it was a $5,000 cost. As a 12-year-old, I did not have $5,000. As a young married person, I was in debt $5,000. Right? Like, that's a, I could not get my head around that money. And what happens is when people wrong us, when we're called to forgive, we often don't have the spiritual resources, the spiritual bank account to forgive the other person. And there is a way to actually build your spiritual bank account. There is a spiritual discipline that begins to put money in the bank so that then you are now free to spend that on forgiveness and grace and mercy. And what it is, it's just simply, it's the simple um, discipline of confession. Because what happens is, just like in the parable of the unmerciful servant, if we can recognize how much we've been forgiven— the depth of our sin, the depth of our rebellion, the ripples of our sin that have hurt and wrecked so many people around us, when we recognize that, when we stand before God and say, oh my goodness, God, I have just destroyed people around me. When we ask God, will you forgive me? I'm a person in need of forgiveness. And we can recount and lay out all the ways that Jesus needs to forgive us daily. It's just putting money in the bank, money in the bank, money in the bank. And all of a sudden, when someone wrongs me in their worst moment, I actually have resources to forgive them because I am so aware of God's grace and mercy towards me. I've experienced incredible wise women and men who have forgiven me. I've experienced what that feels like. And now I get to have the noble calling of offering that to other people. And so what we're going to do is we're going to wrap up our service by spending some time in confession. Because before we can even forgive other people, because that's so hard, it is so costly, we've been so wounded, before we can even get there, it's helpful to do some business with God. It's helpful to own our own garbage, our own sin, our own rebellion, our own ways that we've missed it, and to lean into God's grace and to lean into his mercy. And so if you'd close your eyes and bow your head, we're going to spend just a moment being silent. And we'll spend some time in worship and some time in prayer and to begin to build our tank so that we can participate in this noble calling. So Holy Spirit, as we come before you, recognizing it's even hard to articulate our own sin because other people's wrong 
and hurts are so present. So God, I just pray that through your Holy Spirit, you would open our hearts, open our eyes to our own offenses, to our own sin, to our own rebellion for the ways that we have violated you, the ways that we have hurt and violated other people. We humbly come before you, not out of fear, because you've covered and paid for all of our sin, but we come before you so we can receive healing and transformation. Lord, hear our sins.